this is Melissa Lockard with Steam Berman from the Steamheads, a show about the Oakland A's. As we head into the weekend and the A's take on the Giants for the final stretch of the Bay Bridge series for 2020, the A's are in position to possibly clinch a postseason berth this weekend. So we'll take a look at that series coming up. And we also have a special guest today. A's Farm Director Ed Sprague joins us from the alternate site down in San Jose to give us an inside look on what that entire camp has looked like and what the plans are for an instructional league coming up. This has got to have been the strangest introduction to becoming a farm director of a baseball team that anyone in the history of the sport has ever had. What has this year been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting. It feels, you know, like a million years ago when we were in spring training telling everybody to pack their bags and we'll let them know when it's time to come back. And and then that time didn't come. And, and then we just waited for the start of the major league season. And yeah, it was a lot of Zoom calls early on, communication players, a lot of questions uh, with really no answers, you know, and then getting a bunch of our staff furloughed was tough. So, yeah, it's been an interesting year just trying to, you know, use the staff we got to keep in touch with players and, and keep them somewhat on track. Obviously not ideal. I mean, some guys have been able to simulate some innings and keep the pitcher's arms going, but uh it's tough when you miss a whole year of playing. And for the guys that you've got at the alternate site right now, are they with you until the end of the major league season or do they break camp a little earlier? We'll end camp on uh, Saturday, our last day. And then the team will take um, 11 guys for a taxi squad that will go essentially into a bubble for the remaining part of the season and the postseason. We'll be off a week and then we'll head to, the majority of us will head to uh, Arizona for instruction league for about a four and a half week, five-week program down there. How many players are you expecting to be able to bring in for Instructs? 44. Oh, wow. So it'll be a normal-sized uh, instructional league then? It'll be mostly games. I mean, it's going to be a little bit differently. Every team in Arizona is bringing somewhere between 40 and 60 guys. Some brings their teams are bringing two two sets of teams. I know the Giants are bringing two teams. You know, we're bringing 45 players and, and another 13-plus staff. And we're going to go through August, October 31st. But a lot of teams are going to some to upwards to as November 20th, trying to get as many games in. So we're going to try to get you know as many games as we can, probably 24 games would be ideal, and get a lot of these guys at least try to get them 60 to 80 at-bats if we can. And how are you assessing performance in this kind of environment, both at the alternate site and maybe what you're hoping to, to see from Instructs? You know, we keep our traditional stats, uh, just like we normally would during the season. All of our stuff is charted. Obviously, you know, it's different because we're just facing our own guys all the time, but uh, you can still see some tendencies, you know, strike zone awareness and, you know, the ability to get on base and you know, OPS and you know, all the extra base hits and the pitcher strikeouts or walks around the zone, velocities, exit velocities, all those things we're keeping track of. Plus, you know, we have a, a big staff that has a ton of experience. So just using our own eyes. I think we you know, feel like guys have gotten better down here. We've been fortunate enough. The group we have down here has been really good and really diligent about getting their work in, really professional going about it every day and you know it's been a long time I mean this last week's dragging a little bit for us uh, as you know guys are getting ready to join the big club and some guys are getting ready to head home and other guys are getting ready to head to Arizona so it's been good it's been a very good group they're very good staff you know we've been fortunate that we haven't really had any any issues knock on wood <laughs> yeah I'm sure every day is kind of knock on wood sort of territory this year um we talked a little earlier in um the summer that some of the young guys that had, had stood out um were, were there any that continued to sort of stand out or were there any sort of late bloomers in the camp that you think really um up their performance as it went along you know, we talked about Tyler Sauters from early. I mean, he got off to a great start and then, you know, kind of struggled a little bit, which is probably good for him. He's he's playing well again. 
his catching came along as the summer goes along. He's got a long way to go still behind the plate, but he's come along. And, uh, you know, Nick Allen, I think, has made some great strides. You know, we always knew he was a, a special defender, and he still is. And he's worked really hard in this hitting. And I think, uh, you know, it's not too far off in the future. I think we'll, we'll get a chance to see him, you know, possibly next year in a big league game. You know, he's probably been the biggest. I think Logan Davidson has done a nice job. You know, I, we've talked, obviously, about Bobby Crosby being able to work with these guys every day. And these young shortstops, he's got them out there every morning early along with Robert Passon, and they've just continued to improve. They've been very diligent, very disciplined, and I think on both sides of the ball, Logan, you know, after coming off kind of a slow start with offensively in his pro career, I think did an excellent job. He's really, really swung the bat well and made some nice adjustments. Generally speaking, um, you kind of tend to have instructs be younger guys, but um, do you have instructs bringing in some of the veteran guys uh, that maybe didn't get a chance to play that would have been like double A, triple A this this year? Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be probably a little more uh, you know experienced than young guys. We do have some young guys that are coming in, but most of the guys, you know, Austin Beck will be back, will back in, and, and uh, Ironman will come in, Jordan Diaz, who's a little bit of a younger guy, but Kyle McCann and, and Davidson and Allen will, will go back down. Uh, Lawrence Butler, one of our young first basemen, will come down. And then our pitchers are kind of a mix. Uh, Dunshee and Howard will, will go down and continue their progression. You know, those are guys that have pitched in AAA and mostly AA and get their innings back up. And then we have a few of our you know, younger Latin players coming over as well. So it's, it's a nice mix. Get these guys a chance to, to play in as many games as they can. Hey, Ed, uh, Steve Berman here. Just, uh, I actually probably own about uh, at least a dozen of your baseball cards from back in your playing days. So kind of cool to get to talk to you here. I was wondering, actually, just for fans, I think it's been kind of a mystery just in terms of what the alternate site life is like. I know it's probably been interrupted a little bit by this bad air quality. Maybe not. But, you know, what's the day in the life of being in the alternate site for a player, uh, you know, what's the schedule like and what do they expect to do on a daily basis? Are you guys scrimmaging a lot or is it more individual work? We have staggered arrival times because of, you know, social distancing protocols that are in place. The players are getting tested every other day. For the most part, the staff is getting tested every fourth day. We come in and they get dressed, they get out on the field. There's early work. The first guys come in are the catchers and pitchers. And they'll stretch and the catchers will hit the cage and then they'll catch sides or whatever the pitchers need. And then we have a usually the young infield group comes in, you know, 15, 20 minutes after them. And they'll do their early work ground balls and they'll get their cage work in. We only have one cage here in San Jose. So it's been a little challenging trying to mix, you know, guys in and out, you know, keeping it like three or four players at a time. And once that's kind of over, we kind of go into like a normal batting practice. Everybody's got all their defensive work in and their cage work in. And it's kind of a a staggered VP, and then usually, depending on how many innings we'll have, we'll usually break for lunch for about a half an hour and then come out and play uh, an inter-squad game. Or if we only have maybe two and a half innings, then we'll just go right into the game and have lunch afterwards. So we usually have some sort of pitching every day, but some days there's no pitching at all, and some days we, we stagger. Like tomorrow will be our longest game uh, of the year. Caprillion and Jeffries are back down here now and they're going to get stretched out a little bit. So they're, going, they're up to 70 pitches. So tomorrow we have, I think, a seven, half, eight inning game, which will be fairly long. So, but then we we'll go back home and guys, for the most part, there's not a lot open in San Jose right around us. Um, you know, there is a couple restaurants that have outdoor dining, but most of the guys get DoorDash into their room and in their room. So other than being evacuated by a, a fire that happened, <laughs> 
a couple weeks ago in the hotel. Guys were just kind of hanging out, not doing a whole lot, and then just lather, rinse, repeat the next day and do it all over again. So it's been a little bit of a grind. It's kind of had the you know, spring training feel with no games, but for an extended amount of, you know, over two months now. What was the evacuation like and, and what where did the players end up going? And then also the latter part, you know, you guys are looking at this roster here and you know, generally when you're looking at minor league teams, you know, everyone's kind of in the same age range for the most part. I mean, you have some guys who come in super young, some guys who are a bit older for whatever level they're at, but you guys have, you know, three 18 year olds, Poisson, Brian Buelvas, Soderstrom, and you also have some 33 year olds. I don't know how much you guys are able to, you know, form any sort of chemistry as the alternate site people. And, you know, you guys have to make sure that you're following all the protocols, but you know, what was that evacuation like? And what's it like to have such a varied sort of list of players from different age backgrounds? You know, I give that, that credit to the players we have in, you know, Campbell and Nate Orff and Carlos Perez. They were fantastic with these younger guys. And, you know, they took them under their wing. They were great, you know, the whole time. And, and really, I think the younger guys felt right at home fairly quickly. You know, I don't know what the other alt sites are, but I think we had a pretty close-knit group. Guys got along. We were put together, you know, I think four different little scramble golf tournament events that the majority of the guys competed in down at Cinnabar Hill. So that was kind of fun for everybody. And then we'd have like a little pizza get-together afterwards in the lobby down here, which were really big. And you could socially distance enough apart. And, and I got to give credit to the guys. You know, we get results tonight, hopefully, that you know, we haven't had any positives you know, since we got here, which is, you know, pretty, pretty good a testament to the way these guys have handled themselves off the field and, and taking care of the protocols. So that's been great. As far as the evacuation goes, it, you know, it came just, a, it was a freak thing that happened about 9.30 at night, one night. I think it was a, someone had thrown a cigarette, someone from outside throwing a cigarette that caught fire in the restaurant that's closed downstairs. And, and we just basically stood on the curb for about an hour and 45 minutes. The firefighters responded pretty quickly, never got that bad. And then to answer your question earlier about their air quality, you know, we had to download an air quality app on our phone, which is another thing we didn't foresee happening uh, this year. Uh, and there was some times we did that we had to pull guys off the field and it got to a certain level. So we definitely backed off. It was really bad here for, I want to say about a full seven, eight days. And uh, one of our players had a pre-existing condition of asthma, so he didn't play at all. And, you know, we sent him home. So it was trying to use our best judgment based on uh, what it looked like outside. We eliminated extra work in the cage afterwards and just got into bare necessities. And you mentioned that um, Jeffries and Gamprellian are back down now, and obviously each of them got a, a small taste of the big leagues this season. And how, how do you feel they progress during this? And, and what do you kind of see for them jumping into next year? Yeah, well, I mean, I saw with Dalton first. You know, I think he came down here with probably more, it felt like more of a rehab assignment than anything. I don't think he was really kind of in the mix. He just started throwing the ball so great. We we're supposed to have a, a period, I think, in early August where we were kind of supposed to shut him down for, you know, like a down phase of his of his rehab and then kind of slowly build him back up. And, you know, we kind of talked everybody into, like, keeping him going because he felt great and he was really throwing well. And he thought he might have a chance to, you know, help the big league team if they needed it. And that turned out. I mean, he didn't obviously perform great in that one game. But I think he's done very, very well. He's held up. He's been healthy. His velocity's up. So I think that's been great. And, it's, you know, same thing for Cap. You know, Cap has been able to get some of his velocity back, and he performed well down here. And obviously he's got a little bit of taste of some innings in the big leagues. And so and that was exciting for those guys. I think they've definitely put themselves, 
you know, on the map and, you know, when you get a chance to pitch in front of the big league manager and, you know, you make an impression. And I think that's just to see both those guys healthy back on the mound on a consistent basis. Uh, I think for both of them uh, and our entire medical team that's helped them get back to where they were. I, I just, I think that's really cool. Injuries have obviously been a big part of just all of Major League Baseball. Have you guys been able to stay pretty injury-free throughout the camp? I guess knocking on wood once again. Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty good. You know, obviously, we're not playing the, the number of innings you would normally play in the course of the season. So uh, we haven't had really any of the hammy, quad, typical stuff. You know, Campbell had a little bit of a stiff back for a day, and Soderstrom took one off the head when he was catching a flat with one of the pitchers. and good learning experience for someone to maybe wear your mask when you're doing that. So other than that, I mean, nothing really serious. I mean, our arm care has been good. I don't, I don't have, I don't think we've had any sore arms. Anybody come up with a sore arm either side of the ball and, and guys have been able to get their work in for the most part. And it's been really good. So, you know, the wear and tear of those extra innings, you know, extra innings, I mean, by playing all nine innings on an everyday basis, it just goes to show you that the wear and tear of that in the course of the season, what it really does to break you down. They came in in shape. They prepared themselves well, and I think they maintained it uh, throughout the uh, entire camp. One last question for you. Um, you know, this big league team is uh, maybe on the verge of uh, clinching a postseason berth this weekend, and obviously a lot of the team is powered by homegrown guys that, that you guys have developed over the years, and a few rookies in particular, like Sean Murphy and, and Jesus Lazardo and Jonah Heim are really you know, putting a lot of the kind of bulk of the team on their back a little bit at this point of the season. How much pride does the player development department take um, in seeing a team like this in particular be in this kind of position, knowing you know how much you guys have had to do with these guys career yeah i mean i think all of our coaches who you know you know touch these guys throughout their career i think take a you know a good pride that they've gone up there they've prepared to step into a big league game I and mean, what's one of the things we want to do is want to produce winning ball players at the major league level because sometimes their opportunity may be very small and we just want to make sure that when they get there they're prepared to have the trust of the major league manager to go and get the job done and i think that's the biggest thing you know, for the most part, most of our guys, when they've gotten an opportunity, have showed that they're prepared to play. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to perform right away, but I think they're prepared mentally and physically to go out and do their job and, and they feel comfortable. I also think that, you know, because of the uniqueness of our situation with minicamp, you know, we send a lot. We don't invite a ton of guys to big league camp in terms of what some of the other teams do. So we provide a lot of support. So some of these guys have been in front of that big league staff before you know, maybe a two or three times during minicamp over the course of the year before they actually get a chance to perform in a big league game. And so I think there's a comfort level there that the managers and coaches, the big league level have with our players and, and they know them a little bit. So I think that's kind of cool. I mean, even, you know, last year, you know, Melvin reached out to Kevin Merrill, who was struggling and saw one of the reports that we turned in and he's like, Hey, I'll give Kevin a call. We had him over you know, a couple of times in big league camp and talked to him. So that's the kind of atmosphere I think we have, that I think is unique that, you know, when you're a big league manager in the middle of the season's reaching out to the double-A shortstop, and that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is. That, that's awesome. Well, th thank you so much, Ed, for taking the time to, to chat with us today, and uh, best of luck the last few days of this camp and as you transition into Instructional League, but we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, my pleasure. Take care, and let's, uh, let's get this thing done. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is The Athletic's Joe Posnanski for Liquid IV. Believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you as much 
hydration as two to three bottles of water. And in this case, I can tell you that I love Liquid IV. I use it. Uh, it is, uh, first of all, it tastes pretty good. And uh, when I go out, I play uh, some tennis, trying to stay in shape. And it has been uh, fantastic for me as far as staying hydrated. Uh, I've felt uh, better rested uh, after uh, after matches. I've I feel uh, I feel a lot better. It's I, it really works. It's really good. One serving. Let me give you the uh, the info here. One serving of Liquid IV provides the same hydration as two or three bottles of water alone, as I mentioned before. Contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. Okay, healthier than sugary sports drinks. No artificial flavors or preservatives. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code word ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use the promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Finding clothes that fit you just right can be incredibly challenging, especially for Somebody like me who has uh, a body type I would call um, dumpy, it's tough to find anything that fits right. You know, I'm not really a large, I'm not really an extra large, I'm not really a double extra large, I'm not really anything. So it's obviously, it's fantastic. You go to Indochino, they have you uh, go through this entire fitting process where you give them basically every single bit of information that you have about yourself, uh, you have every measurement you have, uh, who your favorite beetle is, uh, you know, what, what, uh, you believe about the infield fly rule. And, uh, and then you come out and, and they're, they're going to send you, uh, clothes that are, uh, that fit you really better than anything you could possibly get in the store. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, with Indochino, you get custom fitted suits, coats, casual wear, uh, at surprisingly affordable prices. Customize everything from the fabric and lining to the lapel shape and uh, monogram if you're a monogram kind of person. Uh, if you're getting married, Indochino is a no-brainer for you and your groomsmen. Forget about the off-the-rack suits that don't fit different body types. Indochino gives everyone a tailored fit. Visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America or book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter the code JOE at checkout. Look at that, JOE. It's for me. JOE at checkout. That's super easy to remember. You go to Indochino.com, and the promo code is JOE. Thanks again to Ed for spending the time with us. And uh, it's uh, amazing that they've been able to actually even pull off a sort of even semblance of a minor league type development with everything that's gone on. But it's, it's good to at least see that uh, some of the talent is able to you know move forward with their development this year and that they're going to be able to expand that pool a little bit in Arizona in a couple of weeks. And so, um, you know, the future looks good, hopefully, for the A's in terms of all of that. But uh, the present is probably what we're most concerned about right now with the Giants coming to the Coliseum and a chance for really both teams to help their postseason hopes, you know, and a lot's riding on these last three games. But it is possible the A's could be the American League Western champions by the end of the weekend. Pretty hard to believe. 
Yeah. I mean, talking about a magic number that you can count on one hand is always a nice thing. So I think the A's are, regardless of what happens, I don't think the Astros look like they're ready to go on a roll. So I think the Western division might be the A's pretty soon here. But it is a little bit of a bummer that we can't have fans for these A's and Giants games with both teams at least competing for the playoffs, if not already on their way there. As far as the A's are concerned, this would have been a rowdy, rowdy three-game series. But as a result of uh, everything that's gone on, it's going to be just the two teams playing. We get to watch it on TV. I'll be there, actually, for at least two or three of these games, and that should be fun. I'll actually be covering one from the Giants' side on Friday and then one on the A's side on Saturday. And I believe you'll be covering the Sunday's A's game from the A's side. And we don't really know who's going to be pitching in this series. Chris Bassett's pitching on Friday, and the Giants are TBD all three games. The A's are TBD on their starters for the next two, uh, Saturday and Sunday. But it's kind of nice, actually, just for the A's to get a day off, right? I mean, I think that that stretch that they just got through just was absolute insanity with the amount of traveling, the air quality. They played it for a doubleheader in Seattle, which was really, in my view, like almost criminally negligent. And you saw that sort of exhaustion and fatigue, but I was really impressed with their win on Wednesday, able to win that second game in the Colorado series because that team was tired. Bob Melvin called it one of their best wins of the season. And, you know, you think, oh, a 3-1 win against a team that's under 500. And yet you could see how hard they were working for it. I mean, even just, uh, you know, Mark Hanna running down a few balls in, in right field and he looks spent, you know, <laughs> making those those runs. And it's not easy to, to run down anything in course Field to, on a good day. But when your lungs have taken a beating like they have recently and you're probably not got, gotten a lot of sleep, I can imagine that wears on you a little quicker. So, I mean, in some ways it's probably fortunate the A's got through those two games in Colorado with seemingly no additional injuries and you know in in addition to the ones that they've suffered lately but yeah you're right I mean I think it was kind of awful that the MLB had to see the A's and Mariners sort of sacrifice themselves for two games and that those horrible conditions on Monday to be able to make the you know humane decision to move those games out of there and now it looks like Seattle's not even going to go back home to play San Diego after they finish up with the Giants. They're going to go down to San Diego and reverse, uh, have a home series at Petco Park. So, you know, I think a lot of lessons learned. I'm not sure why the A's and Mariners had to be the uh, kind of, kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it. Um, Guinea pigs, I guess. Guinea pigs. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I don't know why the A's and Mariners would have to be guinea pigs for that experiment. I mean, I think anybody could have looked at the AQI there and said, this is just not a reasonable thing for being outside. I mean, my kids hadn't played their youth soccer practices in their socially distant fashion for one hour in four weeks because the AQI had been too high and we were significantly lower than what they were playing in in Seattle. So glad they're taking care of it now. But, you know, it is a shame that that, they had to have things things like Jesus Lazardo gasping for air in order for them to see that that was a problem. Yeah, that was just insane. I mean, and then Lazardo's comments afterwards, I mean, he didn't really just flame MLB by any stretch, but he did say it. I'll leave it at that. The fact that I'm a healthy 22 year old who was having trouble just getting around on the field and, and making my pitches. And he ran out of gas pretty quickly in that game. And I think that, you know, you could, probably uh, draw direct correlation between those conditions and Joaquin Soria also apparently was really affected by the air quality and Bob Melvin said he actually felt bad that he didn't really realize it at the time otherwise he would have taken Soria out of the game and Soria had a little bit of a struggle 
Deakman, who still somehow has a ERA of zero this year. He's been incredible. He's a guy who came into the season with some health concerns of his own, just strictly because of the COVID situation. And he was actually tweeting at MLB that night after the doubleheader saying, so uh, what actually, is, is there any sort of standard for what we do here? I mean, what what is the AQI that we're actually worried about where we actually won't play? And I mean, I was feeling the same way too. I've covered a handful of games now, both at Oracle and at the Coliseum. And especially at the Coliseum, there's uh, you know, a weekend where I was there, I think two out of the three days and it was especially the second day. The first day, apparently, the players said was worse. It was a Friday night, and I could feel myself being affected just sitting in the stands. And the next day, I felt worse. I think it was just an accumulation of all of the the conditions. I mean, my eyes were stinging. I just felt gross. Uh, my shirt smelled like a campfire when I got home. It was just kind of disgusting. But that was like, you know, we're talking like the 175 range kind of deal. And, you know, obviously, haze on the field and everything like that. But it looked like a, a fire was actually openly burned at T-Mobile <laughs> in Seattle. And I, I shouldn't even laugh. I mean, it's just a really bad situation. I mean, good for the MLB to, to postpone and move the Giants and Mariners games. But, you know, I, I definitely saw some A's fans who were thinking to themselves, hmm, kind of shows the different treatment that the A's get compared to certain other teams. And, you know, you have the replay situation that's hanging over everyone's heads with the A's and everyone's wondering what's going on there. And then you have the A's having to do all this crazy traveling and playing in terrible air quality. And you kind of wonder, were they not watching the game on TV? I mean, you were watching it, Melissa. It was, it was actually ridiculous. I mean, it looked like it looked like they had done like a full scale, like 4th of July fireworks, you know, celebration inside. And then they're like, all right, now play two different seven inning games in a six hour span. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, no, it did. It looked like uh, right after kickoff of any NFL game after they do one of those pyrotechnics, except it literally never dispersed throughout the whole game, which kind of makes you wonder actually why they do those pyrotechnics at NFL games, because I can't imagine that's great to breathe when those guys are, are starting their games either. But, you know, we've gotten used to seeing players wearing masks on the field, but to see outfielders wearing N95 masks instead of the you know ones just for COVID is not a good look for the league. And I think, um, you know, Jesus Lazardo making the comments that he made. And I made this point on our new little real-time feature on our app, which, by the way, if you haven't updated your app, I highly recommend that you do so. Jesus Lazardo, this is the second or third time this year that he's very quietly but firmly made a point about something that I think people have really stopped and taken a listen to. And here's a 22-year-old rookie, you know, with uh, maybe... 400 professional innings under his belt. I mean, he hasn't, that's actually probably way over. Maybe it's more like 200 professional innings under his belt. And I think he's already developing into a real leader, uh, which I think is pretty cool to see. I had expect that he's going to become one of those uh, consciousnesses of the league, if that's a, a term that you can use. Um, and I, I do think that had he not spoken out the way he did, maybe the Giants series would not have been moved. Um, so I think the Giants actually have uh, maybe a little bit to thank uh, Jesus uh, when when they see him. But um, I do think that there was no common sense. And someone else made the point on Twitter that, you know, baseball, they look up in the sky and they see a rainstorm's coming and they cancel a game. And to not be able to see that smoke was there and it was a huge news story and not make a similar sort of designation, uh, you know, really seemed ridiculous. So, but the A's made it pass. And I think, you know, they were all definitely looking forward to the off day. Although I do note Robbie Grossman said his, 
his off day plans were basically to just watch more baseball. So um, maybe not all of them needed as much of an off day as, as others, but now they kind of can settle into a little bit more of a normal pattern um, for whatever normal looks like this year. They get another off day on Monday and, you know, they can start to really sort of focus on what this team might look like for the postseason. They do have some double headers coming up, but you're right. It's if, it, if they're able to clinch relatively early and, I think the A's are, I'm sure, having internal conversations about seeding and who they want to face and who they might not want to face. And they might look at it and go, you know what? The main key here is to get everyone as healthy as possible and a rotation set the way that we want it. So they might not worry so much about being the number one, number two, number three seed per se, but just want to make sure that they get in the playoffs is in the best possible shape that they, that they can. And, and just back on your Lizardo point, I think that's really true. It's something I've noticed all year with him. I think that's something that your personality shows, even if you're 22 years old, I mean, people do grow as they get older, especially in a job like baseball, where a 22 year old is often in the minor leagues. And, you know, over time you, you get service time and you, you get standing in a clubhouse and you rack up statistics. But Lizardo, I think already knows what his, what his ceiling is and what his career could look like if he stays healthy. And I think he knows that he's going to be a major player for several years to come. And it's not just, you know, the fact that he'll, you know, be honest about the conditions in in a case like what we saw in Seattle, but also he's also very, very accountable in terms of what he's doing and really good at describing exactly what went right or what went wrong in a game where, and that's not super common even among the oldest veterans. A lot of times you'll try to pin someone down on, you know, what was working, what wasn't, what happened here, you know, what, what do you think occurred uh, and why you struggle in this this part? And I'll just kind of go, well, you know, I just didn't execute my pitches or something like that. And Lizardo will talk about whether he's, you know, not mixing up his 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 repertoire enough, whether, you know, he's using his changeup a bit too little or too much. A lot of things or, you know, mechanic stuff that he's noticing. I mean, over the over time, unfortunately, you know, guys, especially when they become celebrities and start making money, they start realizing that saying less often is the best idea. So we might see him be a little bit more diplomatic as he gets older and wiser. But right now, he just seems like he's got that accountability for what you're talking about. And that's really what it's about in the clubhouse, because when you're a leader in the clubhouse, it's got to be someone who looks at themselves first before looking at anybody else. And if they do that, then you're just naturally a leader and people are drawn to you. We don't have starting pitchers for the whole series yet, but it looks like he'll probably be one of them, um, assuming that they stay somewhat on turn. And this will be a good test for him against the Giants. You know, obviously they've hit really well this year. Uh, They may or may not have Mike Yastrzemski in the lineup who left Thursday's game with a calf injury. But, you know, you're looking at one of the better hitting teams for much of the last few weeks of this season. And he didn't, you know, pitch particularly well against them the last time. That was the first of the two A's crazy (laughs) comebacks in that first series. So giving him a chance to see a similar lineup again and and with the kind of stakes that they're going to be playing for this weekend, I think will be a good test. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating one if he does get a star, which I I agree, I think he probably should. Because you looked at what he said afterwards, and after that game, he actually said he liked the way that his stuff felt. 
but it just seemed like the Giants were on every pitch. And that's something that's been kind of interesting to follow on the Giants side this year. The Giants have had struggles on offense and they've had the same, you know, hitting coach for, you know, a long, long time. Hensley, Hensley Mullins, really well-respected coach. And then this year they have so many coaches on their staff, including three different hitting coaches. And I've just noticed, you know, I mentioned on Twitter last night with Brandon Crawford saying it, they keep talking about the word approach more than I've ever heard Giants hitters talk about it. They've had a lot of success. And I think that the amount of game planning that they're doing has really helped them this year. And I think it really helped against Lizardo. So it's going to be a great sort of cat and mouse game to see how Lizardo looks back at that last start and how they attacked him especially early in counts, but they, they really seemed like they knew when his fastball was coming and were really diving at that fastball. If he's going to be mixing it up more and how so he's going how he's going to do that. I mean obviously he's going to come in with a completely different approach of his own. And that's what's really going to be interesting about Lazardo is, you know, when I, when I look at who's going to be starting in these playoff games, right now I would say the leader in the clubhouse for the number one game one might be Chris Bassett just because he's been the most consistent ace starter all season long. Lozardo obviously is the guy with the highest ceiling and the guy who I think most A's fans listening are probably saying, no, I, I just want Luzardo in there regardless. And he's a guy that is sort of figuring it out little by little each start. You know, even when he, you'll give up a couple home runs, he, he seems like he's kind of uh, climbing a hill every single time he makes a start until the one in Seattle, but I just blame that completely on the conditions. So he's a guy, I think that that's going to be the most I don't know, intriguing part of the rest of the season for me is, is Lazardo a guy who is going to kind of figure it out in the next couple of weeks to the point where he could be a legit sort of number one, number two starter in the postseason because they're going to have to figure out here who, who's starting. I mean, Fires is actually, you know, pitched pretty well in Colorado and he's a guy who always kind of keeps them in ball games. I think Manaya's pitched better over the last month than he did in the first month of the season. But, you know, I think other than Bassett, I don't, I'm not really sure exactly who you're slotting in there. I mean, Lazardo's going to be one of those guys but you don't know if you're going to get Lazardo, who was seemed unhittable at times last season, or if the guy who's going to be, you know, really good the first two times through the order and then third time through the order have a couple hiccups. The other guy that might slot into this series, depending on how he's feeling when he comes back from paternity leave, is Frankie Montas. And, you know, he's another one that I think they've got to figure out what they have before the postseason gets here because he's been so up and down. But, you know, his stuff has looked good, and it it has seemed more like a location on the fastball that's been the biggest issue for him. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if he has a chance to pitch against the Giants. That's going to be um, a good test for him as well, especially with some of their left-handed hitters that, that have been swinging the bat so well lately. Yeah, Montas is a big one too. You know, I think if if you would have uh, asked us two weeks into the season that Montas was the obvious number one starter if the A's made the postseason, that was like not even a question. He was the player of the week and looked absolutely dominant. He was throwing 97 and just, you know, I remember I covered a game against the Angels where he was just mowing them down. And then obviously lately it's, it's not just uh, one or two pitches here and there. He's been knocked around pretty good. I mean, he's giving up a lot of loud contact and it's been sort of surprising. And you wonder, you know, if the neck injury that he sustained was the reason why that is maybe his mechanics were a little off and maybe his, his stuff was a little bit elevated. I'm not sure. I don't know enough about that to say, cause I'm not in that clubhouse and none of us are, but I think Montas is a guy who who knows maybe this is a reset for him to go on paternity leave and if he comes in and pitches the way he did in the beginning of this small season then he's a guy that you definitely want as one of those starters as well we'll have a lot of postseason to discuss next week probably is uh, the a's either inch closer or go ahead and clinch a spot in that kind of postseason dance card that has been set up thanks so much for listening we'll be back again early next week to see where the a's stand vis-a-vis the playoffs